So glad to be with you uh, this Easter weekend and this afternoon to talk about the greatest event in all of human history. And that is not an exaggeration. And we are here to celebrate uh, how there was a tomb that had an opening, right? And uh, is empty. And so we're going to talk about that. You know, hope is, is the theme of the service today. We're going to look at a passage of scripture about the hope we can have in Jesus Christ. And it's something that is in short supply in our world today. Um, during certain times of human history, there are times of optimism and more hope. Like after World War I, apparently there was this great optimism. It was the war to end all wars. There'd be no more war until 20-some years later, Nazism and communism and Japanese imperialism and, and the worst war the world had ever seen. And I experienced a little bit in America in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. A lot of you are old enough to remember that and the optimism of the coming decade that, you know what, progress is inexorable. It's going to happen, man. We are just, society is evolving and democracy is unstoppable. And then 9-11 happened and we realized that that, was a, that burst that myth into a thousand little glass pieces and, and throughout my lifetime, I've never lived in a time where there was less hope than today. Um, drug overdoses at record levels, suicides at record levels. Uh, there, there's a, not a lot of places where we could find hope. Do you find hope in the economy? Is that where our hope lies? Not really a very hopeful thing to, to inspire you. Do you find hope in the news? ABC News, Fox News, man, you watch that and you come away like, man, whoa. No, you don't. They sell fear. They sell despair. They sell bad news. That's what they sell. There's no hope there. Do we find hope in, in maybe in education and information? Well, there's never been a time where you could know more. I mean, you can know everything on Google. It doesn't seem to make people any better, any happier, any more full of hope. And, and on and on we can go. And where do we find hope today? Do we find hope in science, right? Well, not only do we have to, because of science, worry about thermonuclear annihilation from nuclear weapons, but now we have to worry about engineered viruses and, and artificial intelligence, they're saying we're supposed to be afraid of now, and environmental destruction, and all these, you know, science is not a place of hope. And, and you know, the lack of hope today was very similar to the lack of hope there was almost 2,000 years ago. When Jesus walked the earth, it's not like the economy was in great shape. It was worse than it is today, and it's not like they took hope in their politicians because their politicians were worse than our politicians. Right? And yet, there is a group of people, the least likely to be, have a message and to be ambassadors of hope, and they were just full of hope. Days before, they had been in despair, and they had been cowards running away, abandoning their own Messiah, and then hiding in a room, and cowards, and then depressed, and then all of a sudden, they find courage and joy and they're out there and, and, they're, and they have peace and they have, and they have a message and they have hope. Something happened on April 5th, 33 AD. There are two other possible dates it could have been, but I think that's the most likely. April 5th, 33 AD, something changed. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Here's a 
This was written about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and it's a letter Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, Greece, and he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. I I don't know if you realize how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. One of the most amazing ones is out of Daniel chapter 9, and it predicts the exact year of his crucifixion, and many say the exact day of his death because it was Passover. And, And so... And, and a lot of people, what they would argue against that, and they said, yeah, but, you know, we have copies of copies of copies, so they must have, like, written in and changed that or wrote that chapter in Daniel 9 after Jesus died. And that was a legitimate theory until the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and they found a, several copies of Daniel 9 that predated Jesus' birth, let alone his death, predicted to the very year and the very day. Uh, when he would die. And, and so many others, you know, Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, he was, by his stripes we are healed, and he was whipped, and his body had, had, had stripes on it, and he was pierced for our transgressions, and the nails pierced his, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. And then, you know, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, and, and that's exactly, the word for wood and tree in Hebrew was the same word. And, and so it just so many prophecies over and over, dozens of them, and the scriptures fulfilled that. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And so Paul is saying, this isn't like my story alone. And this isn't just Peter and the apostles' story. Although if you count Paul as an apostle, of the 12 apostles, 11 of them were killed for what they believed and for what they said. All of them were beaten and whipped for what they said. Why would they lie? Why would they go from being cowards to being courageous? They, they didn't get rich off it. They got poor. They didn't get famous from it. They got infamous. They didn't get women. Paul never even married. I mean, he was single all his life. Like, what was in it for them? Why would they lie? If you're a skeptic here today, these are questions you really need to wrestle with. The prophecies, the statistical improbability, almost impossibility that, that Jesus could have fulfilled them all and then these individuals. So it wasn't just these apostles, though. He says over 500 people at one time saw him. If, th- this is how many people that is. If we were just to say five minutes we're going to have those 500 witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and they're just going to come up and just share for five minutes what each one saw. We would be here for 41 hours and 40 minutes to listen to 500. And Paul is saying, you can go talk to them. Many of you have talked to them. If this was a conspiracy, I, I wouldn't say it like that. I would say, I saw it, a few people saw it, you know, but he's like, yeah, you all know. You can all talk to them. Most of them are still alive. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And and so then that's what he's talking about as far as the resurrection. And so this is what I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to talk about the hope that we can have because of the resurrection. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. 
this is true. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins and allowed us a way to fix our souls, right? To, To be right before God spiritually, internally. But his death on the cross didn't fix our bodies. And, and, and going back to this, he says, our bodies can't inherit an eternal kingdom. If I were to go to heaven like this, there would be no disease, so I wouldn't get a disease. You know, maybe, maybe all the cancer or whatever, if I were to get something like that, God could cure that cancer. But my physical body, it will die no matter what. It's just, it's just not made to live forever. In fact, um, biologists tell us that our cells all have like a chronological clock in them. And over time, our cells get larger and uh, full of junk, like fatty stuff and pigments. And I'm not a biologist, so I'm not really sure. But, and then, so they divide more slowly, they multiply more slowly, they fix themselves not, not as quickly. And then what happens in the cell is even more true of tissue and organs. Did you know that a human heart for the average 20-year-old can pump 10 times as much blood as is needed in the human body? It is over-engineered, overpowered, the human heart. But at the age of 30, we begin to lose 1% of that strength every year, best case scenario if nothing's wrong. And so our bodies, Paul is right, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's the bad news. So, so how do we, he says, well, I got some good news. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. What does he mean by that? We won't all die. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are still living will also be transformed. He's talking about how Jesus Christ is going to return. This is something that Christians have believed for over for, for 2,000 years. Now, we, we debate about how it'll happen. Some Christians say it'll happen before this terrible time of tribulation. Jesus will return and take those of us who are alive and, and, and catch us up together with those who've died before and go to them in heaven. Others think it'll happen in the middle of the tribulation and others think it'll happen at the end of a, a terrible time of tribulation on earth. But everyone who believes God's word, everyone who's been uh, an believes what what Christianity teaches, believes that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Now, here's what I've thought about that. For almost all of my life, I've thought, well, it's been almost 2,000 years. Statistically, what are the chances it would happen in my lifetime? Pretty low. You know, 2,000 years, and just in my little blip, that's when it's going to happen. But I tell you what, in the last two years... There have been things that have been in motion in the world, and I don't have time to get into them all. Chips in people's wrists and, and just all sorts of things that I have said, I've changed my mind. I think it, may, it, it probably will happen in my lifetime, assuming I don't die tomorrow. You know, if I live to a normal, normal age, Jesus Christ is coming back. And that's a great, that he said, this is a secret. We, you know, this is something that was not in the Old Testament, that we will not all die. Some of us will be transformed because this physical body cannot inherit 
the kingdom of God. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And so this is because of the resurrection. The cross saved our spirits, but the resurrection gives us the promise of a new body and a transformed body. The resurrection promises complete transformation. And so he goes on to say this, you see, actually this is a little bit before that. He says, so you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So he's saying in Adam, right, through his sin, we all have this, this broken DNA that's been passed on to us. Actually, scientists recently have realized that through trauma, addiction, and, and bad personal choices, you can actually break your DNA in a way that gets transmitted on to another generation. And, and I, I, the science of that is to, not, not totally all resolved, and I'm not you know, advocating for, for how much of that is true and when that's passed on, but it sounds eerily familiar to what the Bible says about Adam. When Adam sinned, he didn't just break his soul. He didn't just become evil internally. He broke his body and his body became bad. And then he passed that on genetically to every one of his descendants, which is every one of us. And, and so he's saying, in, there's this symmetry going on here. Because Adam broke us. One man broke the entire human race, and he gets the credit. Okay, Eve, it says in 2 Timothy 2, that she was deceived, and so she has some culpability because she sinned, but it's mostly Adam's fault because he wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was the leader, and, and it's his fault. So through one man, one man broke the entire human race, and so he's saying, you know what? Through one man, the entire human race can be fixed and transformed and find new life. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Have you ever been mocked? Maybe you've been mocked by a family member. Maybe you've been mocked by you know, someone at school or work or somewhere. If you've played sports for any length of time, you've probably been mocked by fans, you know, jerks in the crowd. I've been mocked. You know what the, you know what the best response to a mocker is in a sports game? It's not to mock back. You can't out-stupid stupid, okay? <laughs> you, you can't out-mock a mocker. The best answer to a mocker in a sports game is to win. And then you don't even have to say anything. You just point to the scoreboard. <laughs> you know? And that just shuts them up, right? It's, it's over. Paul here is saying, he's saying, we have been mocked by death all our lives. It, it, has, it has hounded us. It, it has chased us. It has defeated us. As I was thinking about this, I thought of my friend Paul who overdosed up in Binghamton. I thought of another man I know, Ryan, who hung himself in his bathroom with a tie. 
I thought of my cousin John who drank himself to death younger than me years, several years ago. And death has mocked me and it's mocked you and has chased us all our lives. And Paul is saying, you know what? The resurrection, it's a new scoreboard for death. One, zero. And Jesus defeated death on the cross. And and so now we have a victory. And death doesn't need to mock us anymore. And the resurrection defeated death. Easter is the day that death died. And we have hope in the resurrection because it defeated death. We no longer have to fear death. In fact, um, that's where most, many of our greatest fears are really just fears of death. People that are scared of heights, why are you scared of heights? Because if you fall, you could die, right? Why are we scared of, you know, what's that noise at night? What's going on? Why? Because maybe it's an intruder and maybe... Maybe they've come to kill you, or maybe they're, they're violent. Maybe, right? There's so many things that we fear are actually fears of death. And, and so next week, we're going to start a new series. It's four weeks long. We're going to look at four ways from the Bible that we can overcome fear. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, some of them are really incredibly insightful, will be incredibly helpful. But one of the things we need to understand is the fear of death that is behind many of our other fears was defeated on the cross. If you make Jesus your forgiver and your Lord and leader, you don't have to fear death. I don't fear death. There are millions of people all over the world that have no fear of death because of Jesus Christ. Now, I do fear certain methods of dying. (laughs) right? Just because I'm, I know where I'm going when I'm dead doesn't mean I want to go there a bad way, you know? So, but, but death itself, we don't have to be afraid of. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the cross took away that sting of sin, and the law that gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death, And the resurrection gave us victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and unmovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. That word useless, depending on your translation, it might say uh, vanity, meaningless, purposeless. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes where Solomon just tries everything and he says pleasure, it's worthless, it's pointless because it's never enough and it never fulfills you and, and it's just empty. And, and accomplishment and, and you know, making great work projects and leaving something behind is like it's meaningless because you do leave it behind and who knows who's gonna get it. And, and you know, all, everything, he just looked at everything in life, work and money and even relationships and he said, none of it is, is meaningful because all of it is gone. And our life is like a vapor and it's just pointless. There's only one thing. In fact, he says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. There's only one thing that lasts and this talks about this. It's in the negative. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Let's put it in the positive. Everything you do for the Lord is, is, has a purpose. 
is useful, lasts forever. In fact, they're the only things that last forever. Jesus is not saying, you know what, good news, I won victory over sin and death, and eventually in heaven, when you get there, you can be a part of it. No, he's saying, right now, here on earth, I am calling you to the greatest mission that has ever happened in the human race, the greatest mission, the, the solution to everyone's problems. You know, thinking of pointlessness and meaninglessness, I've never been in a society, I've never seen our culture more adrift for meaning and purpose. In fact, you, you look at the different generations and the baby boomers, that would be, I think my mom is a baby boomer and uh, she's here. My dad's older than baby boomers. He's like really old, um, almost as old as Phil, I think, so... No. Anyway, but baby boomers, they questioned everything, right? And they kind of upset the apple cart and they said, we're going to, you know, just remake institutions and we're going to, and then gener- Xers, that's my generation, right? They, we came along and we were super cynical. And then the, the generation after us is the millennials. Millennials are, are not children. Do you realize millennials are like 26 to 42 years old? They're not kids anymore, you know? And millennials, and then Generation Z, which is after millennials, they're like 25, 26 and down. They have something in common in Generation Z even more than millennials. And they, they, are, they, they are consumed with and more concerned about than any of the either other generations with purpose and meaning. They want their life to count for something. They want, they want something to rally to. They want a cause. And they have found causes. The cause of socialism and communism the cause of anti-racism, the cause of uh, environmentalism, the cause of, of, of income equality, the cause of, I mean, all sorts of causes, LGBTQ causes. They're, they're like, because they, they're looking for a cause. They're like, man, this just can't be it. It just can't be everything useless and vanity, and I want my life to count and mean something. And I'm telling you, there's only one thing that'll give meaning to your life. There's only one cause great enough to give your life to because you give your life to environmentalism, how's that going? How's the environment? Getting better? Is that working? About any of these things? Racism, is that getting better? I mean, when I was young, racism was bad. And then it got better, and now it's getting worse again. It's like we'll never be able to fix sin on our own. There's only one cause worth your time, worth your life. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, to be strong and immovable and and to work for him and to work for what lasts forever. There's only one person that rose from the dead, only one person with the power to put our hope in. You know, whatever you put your hope in, the greater it is, the greater your hope. If I were to put my hope in the Pittsburgh Steelers today, you laugh. Because there's not a lot of hope there, is there? You know, and, and you know, but putting your hope in Jesus Christ, the resurrection gives today purpose, meaning, a why. I'm going to do something we've, we've never done before. We're going to close with a, a testimony of a man.
We filmed it in the summer, and then we went back to get some, some more footage in the fall of this last year. And then a few weeks ago, Bob Winterstein passed away. And so this is what we've never done. We've never shown you someone's story after they've gone to heaven. And for many of you, and I know many of you knew Bob personally, for many of you, these are going to be the last words of Bob you'll ever hear. And that's appropriate because they're the most important words he wanted you to hear. And in his last days, I mean, he sat down with me two weeks before he passed away, two weeks and one day before he passed away, and he said, if this treatment doesn't work, then going down to New York City, if this treatment doesn't work, I got two weeks. I thought, you're having a donut with me in Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> two weeks, Bob? He's like, here's what I want you to tell people. Tell them about my Savior. Tell him about how he saved me. And I, I won't get into it. I'll let Bob tell you what he wants you to hear and the hope that we can have that will outlive death. Listen. Years ago, I had a problem with drinking. Well, that didn't get me anywhere. Matter of fact, this got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of expense. And... Uh, Eventually, I went to AA. They talk about your higher power. But to me, my, it's God. I asked God to save Mike, you know, and he did. He saved me from the alcoholism. That was before I think I was saved. I really accepted him into my life, and that was around 2006. God is in control of my life. I let him come into my life. I mean... He's taken a lot of things, a lot of my bad habits away from me. And he's, he's made me a better person, you know. It's not the things that I do to make me better in God's eyes. God makes me better through his grace. And I do good things because of the grace he has shown me. I do good things, well, because I want to, but because he's in me. I have him guiding me. It's like having my dad there guiding me. It's powerful, man. It's real powerful. This has um, been both a uh, trying but a very, very good past couple years. And the reason is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I went to Johns Hopkins and had it removed. But um, apparently they didn't get all of it. And as a result, it spread. One night I went to go get up to uh, go to the bathroom and it felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. It turned out I had three fractured vertebrae and a fractured pelvis. Um, cancer spread into that area of the bones and I have it in different areas. So I'm just doing my thing and uh, praying and taking care of my wife and praying for my family. To me, I found out the past couple years that the most important choice a person can make in their life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But on the other hand, if you say, hey, I can do these things myself, 
I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. You know, maybe I have Buddha or something, or I believe in the, you know, the trees or whatever, but I, that's not gonna save your soul. You know, there's only one person that was crucified, died, and came back to life. And if that never happened, I'd be a fool. But I'm no fool, because it happened. And I have faith and belief, and I know that someday my wife and I are going to have better bodies, looking good. We're going to be saying, good morning, Jesus. Hey, Moses, how, what's happening? You know, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. Hey, there's Billy over here, your cousins. Oh, it's, it's going to be good. But the only thing is, you got to believe it. You got to have faith. You have to go right to the engineer, the person, the guy who made the machine. Who made us? God made us. So he knows how to fix us. Everybody has their ups and downs. And being a Christian, we have our trials. But just knowing in your heart, I don't worry about things. I know I have these problems. I let the doctor and God take care of them. I just follow the orders. I don't worry. God is in control. Changed my life. Changed yours. You know, one of the things he was, it's a story he was so proud of. Shared it with his wife, his wife shared it with me, shared it with lots of people. Just a few days before he passed away, the kids were in another room and his wife Mary said to them, well, you know, your, your grandpa loves you little kids more than anything. One of the girls spoke up, Grandma, that's not true. He loves God more than us. That's what God is inviting you to. He's inviting you to be a part of the greatest movement in the history of humanity, to be a part of the solution to almost every problem on the planet, to join millions of others, not, not just hold on until heaven, but to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I just want to invite you to be a part of that. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked him to forgive you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. There'll be some people in the front here as this song sings, there is hope. We're going to sing about hope. And as we sing about hope, if you don't have that hope yet, you need to come forward and talk to us and, and we'll pray with you. You need to get right with God. But if you have that hope, shame on you if you keep it a secret. Because this world is literally dying for a lack of hope. And there are young people and old people that are aimless and they're just looking for a purpose, any purpose. And they need you to, to show them and tell them that there is a purpose greater than all these other things that they might be chasing after. That's our mission. That's why he's left you here. I hope that I hope that you, this will be the beginning of a new start in your life, the beginning of a new life, that you'll 
So be an Easter of a new beginning. And that's why the church exists. We're here because, you know, our mission is to storm the gates of hell, and you're an idiot if you try to do that by yourself. You need, you need a band of brothers, a band of sisters around you that can help you and encourage you along that way and come alongside of you. And I just want to encourage you to do that and to be a part of what God is doing all over the world and in this community. Let's all stand together as we sing. And if you need to get right with God today, come forward and, and pray with one of us up front.